If you're a visitor this morning, um, welcome. Um, we have spent January, this first month of the year, just looking at some classic passages from the scripture um, as, you know, to, to be an encouragement and to, you know, get us on our way, you know. And, uh, and to you that fellowship here regularly, we'll be back in the book of Romans next week. So uh, heads up, we're in chapter 9. So um, read ahead chapter 9. But this morning, if you'll turn with me to the book of Philippians. And um, a very familiar passage. And as, our, as is our tradition here at Calvary, we'd like to conclude the service by gathering around the communion table. So I pray the Lord uh, would minister to you and that you would prepare your hearts to sit with him in remembrance of what he has done as we allow the word to minister to us. So this is a very familiar, very familiar passage to us. In the third chapter of Philippians, the Apostle Paul wants to encourage us to give all for Christ, right? You know, and none of us gets up in the morning, do we, with a heart to do, give him anything less than that, right? You know, every day we want to give all for Christ. And here we are at the beginning of a new year, and certainly that is no different. Our life is to be about Christ. And what Apostle Paul does in this third chapter of Philippians, he simply is telling us to hold nothing back, but let Christ become your confidence. Let Christ become your passion, your desire, your goal. Let Christ become your destiny. And he does so first, if you know this chapter, by alluding or, or, or holding up for us, the things that he held to in the past, the things that he placed his confidence in before he became a follower of Christ uh, when he thought he was something pretty special. And he did, you know. He was a man who trusted in his heritage, his race, his religion. He trusted in his customs. He trusted in his own righteousness. And when he compared himself to all others, the Apostle Paul, then known as Saul, he qualified righteous in his own eyes. But one day, we know the story, don't we? But one day, this self-righteous, this self-confident man saw himself as compared to Jesus Christ. And then all that he had labored for, all that he had paraded boastfully before men, all that he, he thought had made him acceptable unto God, all of that became like, well, it became like filthy rags, didn't it, to him. We know when that was, it was on the road to Damascus. We know the story. Can you see him, Saul? traveling in all his self-righteous pomp and ceremonial display? The Bible tells us he was breathing threats of slaughter against Christians. And it was on that road that he got his first glimpse of the perfection of the righteousness that is Jesus Christ when he was apprehended by Christ. When he was, when he was well, that's what happened. God got him, didn't he? In that moment when he revealed himself to him, when he was apprehended by Christ and for the very first time in his entire life, I'm, I, just, I'm, I think maybe he was humbled, you know, this proud, proud man. All of the accomplishments of his life, they faded into nothing as compared to the glory of who Jesus Christ is. That one glimpse... 
That one glimpse was enough to convince him that he had spent his entire life striving and struggling for something that was unobtainable in himself. That's what Martin's prayer was. Something that he could never achieve. He could never be perfect. You know. And on that day, this is the wonderful thing about the Apostle Paul. On that day, he stopped trying. He stopped trying to be perfect on that day. Again, he looked at his religious heritage. He looked at his zeal. He looked at everything that had been important to him. And in the light of who Christ was, we will read it and we know it so well. He saw it all as nothing but rubbish. I never saw it before. Can you see this in the Apostle Paul's thing? I never saw it before. All my own attempts, all my righteousness, all my parade and pomp, all of, all of that which I thought I had achieved of myself. I'd never seen it before. It was nothing. It was nothing, but when I saw him, that's when the reality hit me, you see? And that's when Paul said, we're not going to read it all, but that's when Paul said, I counted all of that, I counted all of that loss for Christ's sake. And just quickly before we go, I'm going to digress a little bit. When he says he counted that all loss for Christ's sake, that reputation, that heritage, all of that, that religiosity that he trusted in, that was 30 years before he wrote this epistle, that he'd counted it all as loss. And I think what we have to realize as Christians, especially as we enter into a new year, realize that what was lost for Christ stays lost. Here he is 30 years later talking about the fact that it was lost and it was lost way back then. It stays lost. You think about yourself when you came to Christ and he came into your life. What, what happened? When he apprehended you, what, what happened? When he pulled you down and humbled you, what happened, you know? What did we do? We gave up. We gave up a life that was contrary to who Christ is. What did we do? We gave up our sin. We gave up our, righteous, our own self-righteousness. We gave up the works that we were, that we were trying to be accepted by in, in, without even realizing it, you know. And what did we get in return? This is the gospel message, isn't it? We got in return his righteousness. We got in return his holiness, his acceptance. And we got his peace and we got his joy and we got the promise of his glory robed in Christ's righteousness. And simply before we get into this, let, us, let me say this. Let us never take up those old filthy rags of pride and vanity and selfishness. Let them stay lost. Let them stay lost. You know, we are given here what I believe is the right mental attitude uh, to those things, to, those, to that sin, to that pride and to those vanities. What was the mental attitude? Well, we've looked at this so many times over the years. Simply, Paul looked at them as nothing but a pile of rotting rubbish, right? And, and so whatever, whatever pride it was that we were addicted to comes in so many different forms, doesn't it? You know, reputation, achievement, success, all of those things, money, house, car, wealth, popularity, career, clothes, sports, all of those things. Whatever pride it was that we were addicted to, whatever it was that we placed our confidence in, that's what this is about. Whatever it was that we placed our confidence in before Christ, we see it for what it was 
in comparison to who he is, to his perfection, and we see something. This is what the Apostle Paul saw. He saw that it was not worth our trust. It wasn't worth trusting in. And whenever you find yourself, Christian, tallying up you know, points for all the good things that you have done, you know, take Paul's reality pill here. And his reality pill is to ensure that we, it remains counted as loss in our lives. The reality pill is it's all decaying refuge. It's all a pile of rubbish. And here's the thing. This is the message. It was decaying for Paul 30 years ago when he found Christ. And for you and I, it was decaying when you found Christ and your eyes were open and you saw with different eyes and you, you saw the world through the eyes of Christ and you saw the ugliness of deceitfulness of sin. You saw the danger of it. You saw the destructiveness of it in your own life and the lives of those all around you. You saw it then. You saw it was decaying. Well, guess what? It's still decaying. It hasn't got any better. And that's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to, every now and then, you know, you'll get it, won't you? Every now and then you'll be walking through life and, and whatever it was that you had your confidence in, whatever it was you trusted in, that you placed your faith in, every now and then it wafts before you like a, like a sweet-smelling aroma, doesn't it? Every now and then, you know. It's like, it's like, like, it's like one of the things... I digress again, but digress again. But one of the things, you know, I, I had a lot of bad habits prior to, prior, to, prior to Christ in my life. You know, still got some things that got to be dealt with, right? But you know, one of the things uh, um, they say that they say that they say that nicotine is one of the strongest addictions in life, right? You know, and um, Christ took that one from me, along with a lot of other things. But you know, of all of the things that I had placed my confidence in prior to Christ, of all of the things, the one thing that wafts by me every now and then is simply that. You know, I'm, I'm never tempted to go back to it, but every now and then I walk past someone who's chuffing away, you know, and, this, and, I, and, I, and every now and then my brain, there's something in my brain that goes, ah, remember that? You know, remember that? You know? I have, I have one, re, one repeated dream. You'll have those, don't you? You know, it doesn't, every now and then it pops up. And in this dream, I'm smoking again. You know? Yeah, and it's so vivid and it's so real. And I wake up in the morning and I roll, you know, I sort of roll myself around and I go, what a fool. Why did you do that? And then I say, oh, I'm in bed. It's a dream, you know. And so the enemy wants to, excuse the examples, but the enemy wants to bring those things that were loss, you counted as loss in your life for the excellency of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, and wants you to bring them back. And so Paul says, no, you've got to see them for what they really are. They're nothing but a pile of rotting rubbish decaying back then when you came to Christ and they're decaying all the more even now. So Paul wants to encourage us to let those things go, to make sure that they stay lost and then to pursue Christ with everything in the pursuit of the end game, which is for you and I, is becoming Christ-like, is Christ-likeness. And he uses, finally at the beginning, he uses the analogy of the race, doesn't he? 
And he uses it more than once in his writing to believers. He says in, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says this in verse 24. Let me just read it to you. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? He says, Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So as believers, he's introducing us to the idea of the fact that we do run in a race. And as we run in a race, we should be running in such a way that we are never slowing down. We are never conceding defeat. We are never stepping out of the race. And so so he presents himself. Here I am, the Apostle Paul. He's declaring his old religious pedigree. And the things that he counted as important in his life prior to coming to Christ. And then he began to speak about his desire. This is the thing. You would come to Christ and then there is this desire to have this, uh, this ever-increasing intimacy with Christ. And he speaks those beautiful words, those wonderful words. I just want to know him. Isn't that right? He says, he says, I just want to know him. It's not just know about him. I want to know him. I want that experiential knowledge at work within my life every single day. I want to know that Christ is willing. That's why he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. That resurrection power working in our lives, no matter what we're doing, where we're going, no matter what the situation, no matter what the challenge, is to know him and to know that he is with you and that his power is at work within your life. But not only, not only that, he says, I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Christ, Lord, whatever it takes. I'm willing to enter into those places of suffering because I know, and the Apostle Paul knew this like nobody else, it's in those places of suffering. There's a fellowship with Christ that is so sweet and is so precious and you can't find it anywhere else. And Paul is saying, whatever, Lord, whatever, Lord, it is that I need to go through. Why? So that I might, hey, I might be conformed unto his death. He says, by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. He's not saying, he's not saying I'm trying to earn the resurrection from the dead. No, he's saying, Lord, whatever it takes and may be conformed unto his death you know what that is that is dying to self being made alike unto the, the example of christ who came and died for the sins of mankind he said i want to day by day learn to know who you are i want to understand you in an experiential way i want to realize the power at work of your resurrection within my life and i am willing to go wherever it needs to be i want that deep intimate fellowship that comes from just being with you christ wherever that may be Wherever that may be, and I'm going to lay down that old life and I am going to put it to death because it has got an end game. It has got an end, and that is end is the resurrection from the dead. I am going to be with you, Lord. See, this is the Apostle Paul. What a way to enter a new year, hey? With this heart and this desire, knowing that we are in this race with that purpose. And so he goes from this recognition of who I was and the value of it is nothing but refuse to understand the race, sorry, to understand the desire of intimacy and, and the purpose of God within our lives. And he begins to describe it in this form of a race, these verses that we know so very well. Want to read them with me? Are you there? It says in verse 12, he says, this is, uh, that's where I've brought you to, verse 12. He says, not as though I had already attained either were already perfect. 
but I follow after. So he's writing to believers. He's saying, I'm, I've, I'm not there yet, you know. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He said, I don't even really know the fullness of the reason why I've been apprehended, but I'm going to apprehend that for which I was apprehended by Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a pursuit of life. And he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we've been apprehended, just as the Apostle Paul was apprehended. Laid hold of is the idea. You know the story of the Apostle Paul when Christ apprehended him, pulled him down, right? You know? The, the, the glory of the Lord shone about him, you might say. And the Apostle Paul, who was riding along in all his pride and all of his pomp, you know, was what? He was, he was down on the ground, you know. And he's asking, who are you, Lord? You know. So we've been apprehended. We've been laid a hold of with a purpose of pursuing ultimately Christ-likeness. That's what life is about, right? Now, to be Christ-like... Um, well, let me give you a description. Uh, this is you, right? True and complete godliness in its final form with no room for imperfection. Anybody want to put their hand up? True and complete godliness in its final form with no room for imperfection. In, in, <laughs> no room for improvement, is what I was trying to say. And of course, you, 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 get, you, you hear that and you say, surely that is beyond all of us. Why even bother if that's what we are meant to be? And I, I think it's with that mindset that many people... Surrender in the pursuit of godliness within their own lives. They drop out of the race that they're in, you know. Well, can I tell you something this morning? And this is what Paul is wanting us to know. It is obtainable. It is obtainable. It really is. If you believe, believe my words are not working this morning. If you believe and trust Jesus Christ for your eternal destiny, you will stand complete with no room in, for improvement before Jesus Christ. But understand, brothers and sisters, it won't happen until you stand before him in his presence. Here is the Apostle Paul, as I pointed out. He's been a Christian for some 30 years when he said these words. I mean, he has taken the gospel to the, to the corners of his world. He has established churches all over that world. He has experienced the power of the Holy Spirit at work within his life and through his life. And you would think if anybody had arrived, it's the Apostle Paul, right? If anybody had attained Christ-likeness, it was the Apostle Paul, right? That's what you might think. But hang on a minute. What did he say? He says again in verse 12, Not as though I have already attained it, either were already perfect, he says. And then in that next verse, in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend it. You see, the ultimate goal, these become glib sayings. They need to be more than glib sayings. The ultimate goal is perfection, but the plan is 
What? Progress. The plan is progress. The plan is press on in spite of my own lack of perfection. So to hear Paul again, I want to know him. I want to know him. I need to know him. I need to experience him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed unto his death. I need this at work within my life. It's true. I am not what I should be. Are you? That's what he was saying. I'm not what I should be. I say the same. I'm not what I should be. Hey, but I'm better than I was. And we say it again. The best is yet to come, don't we? So rather than being dissatisfied and disheartened by our lack of perfection... Christian, let us be dissatisfied with it and not settle for it. Do you hear the difference? See, there's two different attitudes that we can have and they produce two very different responses. One will cause us to flounder in this race and the other will drive us towards the prize, right? So the question this morning for all of us is, am I dissatisfied with my Christian life or am I just plain disheartened by it? Well, perhaps. Perhaps I'm satisfied. I mean, equally, equally dangerous, don't you think? Maybe I'm comfortable in my Christian life. You know, I've got my Christian wife or my Christian husband, my Christian children. I've got my Christian friends. I don't steal. I'm not lying. I'm not cheating uh, like everybody else out there. Yeah, I'm pretty satisfied, you know. Let me tell you something. And and never forget this. Never forget this. The only way to be satisfied with my Christianity is to not look towards Jesus. Did you hear that? The only way to be satisfied with my current state in my Christianity is to not look towards Jesus. You see, Paul was completely satisfied with Jesus. It was his everything, right? Completely satisfied with Jesus, just not with his Christian life. He hadn't arrived yet. I haven't apprehended that which I was apprehended for. See, the problem is too many of us become satisfied with our Christianity. You know how we become satisfied with our Christianity? I know I've told you by not looking at Jesus, but also we become satisfied with our Christianity by not looking at Jesus, but rather by looking at other people. And we look at our fellow believers around us and we see their failings and we see their struggling's, and we don't look at those that are streaming ahead above us, but we're looking at those that are sort of maybe, you know, in our wake a little bit behind us and we look at those and we find comfort in the fact that we're not as bad as them. You may not verbalise that. I hope you don't actually think like that because I hope your eyes are firmly fixed upon Christ. See, Paul knew the danger of that. So he dare not compare himself to anyone but Jesus who satisfied him. You know? So it's important to understand that we can find what you would call a pseudo-satisfaction that stumps our walk in Christ. You know? In fact, we justify for settling for less than we should because of it. Paul had his eyes where? On the prize. We've just read it, doesn't he? His gaze was fixed towards 
And all he could see was Jesus Christ standing at the finish line with arms wide ready to receive him. That's how we live our life. That's the prize, you know. Do you remember being a child at sports day? Do you remember when mums and dads used to come? Do they still come? And mums and dads were allowed to stand at the end. I don't know. Mums and dads allowed to stand at the finish line. You know, and you might be coming last by 100 yards. You know, everyone else is finished, but mum is there. You know, and you run and you run and you fall into those arms. I remember that. You know, I remember that, you know. But that's our Christian life. Jesus is there. He is the prize. Arms open. Doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. Doesn't matter where they are in the race. The only thing that matters is that I'm still in the race and I'm moving towards my Christ. Isn't that a beautiful mental picture to run this race with, isn't it? You know, that's what he's saying in, in verse 13. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me. Again, that one thing I do. What is the one thing that Paul does? Well, the one thing Paul does is he's being Christian. Being a Christian. Now, some will say, I have even had professing believers say this to me, wait a minute, there's more to life than Christianity. There's more to life than being a Christian. No, there's not. No, there is not. Being a Christian is not a section of my life. Unfortunately, so many people live their lives in compartments, don't they? No, it's not a section of my life. It is singular. It is one thing. It is what I am. Everything that Paul did, said and was, was focused on and through Jesus Christ. Everything he did was encompassed by that one goal to run this race, to receive that prize which is Christ. And it's no different for any blood-washed, blood-brought child of God. We all devote ourselves to running the race. Understand this. Athletes, well, they get to the top how? They get to the top by specialising, don't they? That's what they do. And that's what we are. We're specialists. Do you like that title? We are specialists. Specialists in becoming Christ-like. It embraces every aspect of my life. This is how it needs to be. Every decision, every relationship, every choice is invo- I'm involved in is involved in me becoming more like Christ, more Christ-like. Paul said, this one thing I do Forgetting those things which are behind. Now this is again a term that's describing the race. It's describing the runner who is, who is you know, who being in the front. What does he never do? He never looks back. He never looks back at the opposition. Why? Because the moment he looks back, so, so his eyes are only on the finish line, but the moment he looks back, what happens to that runner? He stumbles. He loses momentum. He loses stride. So what he's saying is we cannot be controlled by what is behind us. What's behind us? Our past, right? 
We can't be controlled by the past. Rather, he says, forgetting those things. Now, some rightly say, I can't forget my past. And that is right. But understand this. When the Bible says forgetting those things or forgetting, it it doesn't mean stop remembering. There's only one way that you can stop remembering, and that's generally associated with senility, isn't it? Right? No. To forget in the Bible means to no longer be influenced by it. It's a choice that I make. Just as God has chosen not to remember my past. Right? You know? Isaiah 38, Hebrew, Isaiah 38, he says he, put, he says he has put what? Our sin where? Behind his back, right? God has chosen not to remember your sin. Hebrews 8 verse 12 speaks of God remembering our sins no more in that he has chosen to do so. And likewise, we simply as believers cannot run this Christian race or in this Christian life focusing on the past life without Christ. You know, I need to continually choose to focus not on those things, but that which is before me again. And it's in the tense that Paul uses again, it's that continual tense, continually choosing to forget those things. It's a continual choice that I need to make as a believer to not go rummaging around in the sordid memories of my past. I've got to choose that, you know. You have to remember that God has forgiven you of that past, has he not? He's chosen to forgive. He's chosen to forget. So why would we dwell in them? Why would we spend so much time there in that place? Hebrews chapter 8, God says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I will remember no more. Paul said in light of that, he said, Reckon yourselves therefore to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Reckon it is a choice, isn't it, that I am making. My life cannot be built upon my past. Sure, my past brought me to a point. But now my life cannot be built upon that path. Now I walk, as Romans chapter 4 tells me, in a newness of life. We all come from past, don't we? Right? We all come from past that are marred by our own bad choices and certainly the bad choices of other people. And some of us deal with terrible things from our past. Some of us deal with the things that nobody wants to talk about. But just think of the things that could have plagued the Apostle Paul. Think about that. He's offering himself up as an example. Certainly all his pride and his arrogance and his prestige and all of that. But again, he is a believer who hunted Christians down. He was a, a, non, sorry, a non-believer who hunted Christians down and had families arrested, had their lives torn out from them, believers that were executed because of his work. Think about it. The blood of countless, countless Christians was on his conscience. You know? But Paul could have been devastated by that, couldn't he? You know? But like Paul, I face the future in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do forgetting those things behind 
And I know, and you say, well, it's easy to do. Easier to say than to do, you know. And I know, and, and I must trust the God who saved my soul. I believe that he has cleansed me of all the filth of the past. And the same, it's the same God I look to, isn't it? And it's the same God I look to who now looks at me as pure, spotless, beautiful, holy in his sight. And I've got to lay a hold of that, you know. I've got to lay a hold of that. This is, you know, we, we quote, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, don't we? And the God who said that, said that because it's true. The God who said that said that, hey, I am now dwelling within you. This is why, again, he who is in us greater is greater than he that is in the world. We like to quote those verses, don't we? But, you know, the God who is in us, the one who now reigns within us, the one who now brings us our peace and our joy, the one who now accepts us, the one who now works within us, that one has nothing to do with that old life, does he? Nothing to do with that old life. But what we have is him who is pure and loving and beautiful and compassionate and merciful, and he is the almighty creator of heaven and earth. He is the one that is in us, and we've got to lay a hold of that every day. We've got to lay a hold of that every single day. When that old life seeks to get ascendancy in our thinking, again, that's why Philippians chapter 4, we're told where to put our minds, on things that are pure and praiseworthy and so on and so on and so on. You know, it's a choice. Again, the Christian life, well, it's total effort, isn't it? it? It really is. So, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Again, it's total effort, Christian life, you know. It's a quest, right? Ever going forward, spurred on by that finish line. Paul paints this graphic picture of a person whose life is dominated by a prize that is before him. There's a call on your life. There's a call on all of our lives, you know, every one of us. Every day it is there and it just doesn't go away. Now you hear me say it over and over again. The moment Christ put his hands upon you, he, he promises never to take it off, Right? And it's there. It doesn't go away. It stirs within you. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter where you have been, who you might have been. What matters is the Lord now and who he is in your life and where he is taking you, what he is doing and what he has done. And there's always going to be more, 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 more of what God is doing in your life. And you wake up to it every single day, believer. Resist it and you will become frustrated by it. Hey, but embrace it and it will move you towards that goal. You know, it's those prayers. It's those simple prayers. Lord, what is today about? What are we doing today? You know, I, I have a little prayer that, that kind of goes a bit like goes a bit like this, a bit like you know, Lord, well, here's my plans. You know, this is what's ahead of me as far as I I know. But if you've got something else in mind, 
let's go that way. You know? That's a powerful prayer, isn't it? You know? You know, I, I, don't always, I don't always allow it to happen. I sometimes stubbornly hold on to my path and my plan. I resist the things that God is doing in my life. Sometimes God will bring someone across my path, you know, and I know that he wants me to speak. I know that he wants me to open my mouth. I know that he wants me to pray for this person. I know that he wants me, you know. And then sometimes I can justifiably just keep on walking and bid him a good day. So what are we talking about? talking about being bold, right? We're talking about laying a hold of that which you have been laid a hold of for. That's what we're talking about. You know? Just, just do it. Just do it. Tell them Jesus loves them. You know, tell them Jesus loves them. You know, pray for them. You know, what, what amazing that is, amazing thing that is, you know, praying for someone that you've never met before. Hey, look, it takes some courage, I promise you. It takes some courage, you know. Amen. It is worth it. Every day, resist it, you'll become frustrated by it. Again, embrace it, and it'll move you forward. What is it? Well, what is it? I, I, I don't know. It's unique in every single one of us. And, but it will, if you allow it, be a part of you, be a part of Christ touching people's lives. And the goal is always the same, isn't it? To be Christ-like. To press forward. Press forward towards Him and all that you do. And all that you do. And there's so much to that, I know. There's so much to that. It's about our mind, isn't it? Bring all our thoughts into captivity. Anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring it into captivity. This is not what God wants me to think. It's about these eyes. It's about these ears. It's about this, this, these hands, these feet. You know, there's a year ahead of us. So much to do. And so much on that path that God has established for us. You know, press forward. You know, some people look at you and call you a fanatic. Some people call it fanaticism. Well, they'd be right, wouldn't they? That's what it is. A fanatical believer. Because that's what it is to be a Christian. You know, they are people who Hebrews tells us they lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets them. They run the race that is set before them, he says, with patience. And they're always, we're told, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's the same, whichever way you look at it. Wherever you are today in Christ, just go forward from this point. Remember what your past is? Remember what it is? But from this point, I don't know where you are today. But you know, there is a destiny. And remember, yes, we will stand. How glorious. Perfect whole with no room for improvement. We will. And that's the path we're on. And it begins today. Right now. From this point. Don't concede any ground, Christian. Don't concede any ground. Don't lose momentum by looking back at a past life. Just keep moving towards him. Just 
Embrace him. I want to know him. I want to know him. Fix your mind on the goal and honor Christ in all that you do, say, and think. Let's It starts here, doesn't it? It starts here at the communion table. There was a cross lifted up, wasn't there? There was a cross lifted up. The Son of God was nailed to that cross. He died for the sins of mankind. He came down, he was taken down from that cross. He was laid in a tomb. And right now, right now, there is an empty tomb. That's what it's about. There's an empty tomb because there's a resurrected Lord. There's a resurrected Lord that appeared to the disciples, first to the women that day, and then to the disciples. And then he appeared continually to those disciples until the day that he stood upon the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives, he spoke to those disciples and he gave them a commission, didn't he? To go into the world, to preach the gospel, to teach the things that he has told us, to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a commission. And then prior to that, he had said, yes, I am going, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back again. So what's that tell us? He's left, there's something to do, but he's coming back for us because there's somewhere to go. Think about it. I say it probably most every other week. It'd be a cruel joke, wouldn't it? Can I say it again? It would be a cruel joke. If there was a God sitting in heaven who saved me and then left me on this planet for no reason at all but just to suffer with its corruption and all its misery and to wait for one day, one day hopefully that either when I die or when he comes I'll be with him. That would be a cruel joke. No, the reality is he's left me here with purpose. He's left me here to be a part of the kingdom plans. That's the glorious thing. He has filled you with his spirit, hasn't he? The spirit of God is within you and there is purpose to every single day. And when we gather around the communion table, we do that looking back, remembering what he has done. But why has he done it? Why did he go to the cross? Why did he die for my sin? Why did he ascend into heaven? Why did he say, go into the world? Why? Because there are souls that need to be saved. That's why. Isn't it amazing that you're here because somebody prayed for you? Because maybe, I don't know, you may be here because somebody stopped you in the street and told you about Jesus. You might be here because you have a faithful mother or father who prayed for you all the days of your life and, and, and modelled Christ before you. You might be here because you had none of that and your life became a train wreck and you had nowhere else to go but to look up and you found yourself in a fellowship of believers who would, who would love the unlovable and showed you the reality of Christ. You're here because somebody said, I want to know him. You're here because somebody said, I want to know the power of his resurrection. 
because somebody said, I am willing to enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed unto his death. That's why you're here. Faithful men and women of God. I, I don't say these things to condemn or to try and manipulate anybody. I say them to open our eyes that we might be moved by the reality of our purpose and our calling. It's a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for who you are and what you have done and what you continue to do. Lord, we look back. We look back to that cross. We look back and we hear your words as you are lifted up. Father, 